0: Praise the Lord! It is good to be here. I'm telling you, it's good to be here, and s- the Lord must have whispered into some ears here about what I was going to preach about this morning. I think when I read my text, you'll hear the same word you just heard. If you got your Bibles, <coughs> uh, turn to First Timothy, chapter three and verse fifteen. And my wife always tells me, be sure and let the s- people that are doing the recording know the title of your message. The title of my message is going to be The Church and Truth. The Church and Truth. Now listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul had been writing uh, to Timothy and uh in verse 14, he says, These things right, I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Paul was hoping to come and see Timothy soon. And he said, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Because I think most everybody here knows how to behave yourself <laughs> in the house of the Lord. Have any of you ever had a, a child that didn't really behave themselves in the house of the Lord. Would you raise your hand? (laughs) Several hands. Well, (coughs) I was going to tell a story about my mother. Uh, We was down in Finley, Tennessee, where I was raised for the first 12 years of my life. Uh, Preacher was preaching, uh, and he was preaching against some of the Christmas traditions that we have, and I won't say anything, because there might be children here. But I reached over to my mother, and I said, Mother, you've been telling me that. (laughs) My mama grabbed me right here, and she pinched a plug (laughs) out. You need to learn to behave yourself. (laughs) So Paul tells Timothy, I'm writing this to you so that you'll know how to behave yourself in the house of the Lord. And, uh, Then in verse 14, he says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, I'm writing so that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. Then the next is my text, which is the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The Church of the Living God, the Pillar and the Ground of Truth. This building has a foundation. Every building that is to stand the test of time has to have a good foundation. (coughs) At Christ Church, we built a rather large building there. Our our building will seat uh, well over 2,000 people. I think around 2,200. There's 120 large pillars under that building. Most of them are anywhere from 30 to 36 inches in diameter, and they go down to solid rock. Middle Tennessee, you have to go a good ways to hit solid rock. 120 pillars go down to solid rock to hold that structure. Paul talks here about the church of the living God, (coughs) the pillar, and the ground of truth. Some years ago, there was a radio program that was promoted by a fellow by the name of Phil Donahue. Anybody old enough to remember the Phil Donahue program? (coughs) And in that program, he interviewed a former fundamentalist preacher. Now, he would call me and Brother Phil here fundamentalist preachers which we are. We preach the fundamentals. But he interviewed a a former fundamentalist. That means he'd gotten away from it. This fundamentalist preacher had turned atheist. He also interviewed a woman that believed in reincarnation and a liberal Catholic priest, another preacher that believed in universalism, that everybody's going to be saved and then an independent Baptist church, now Don't or an independent Baptist preacher. Don't you know that that was some interview? <laughs> a fundamentalist preacher that had turned atheist, a woman who believed in reincarnation, a liberal Catholic priest, a preacher who believed in universalism, and an independent Baptist preacher. I imagine that poor independent Baptist preacher felt like he was really out of place. <coughs> but the subject was belief in heaven or hell. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? And I can just tell you the truth was badly mishandled in that interview. The woman, she spoke of uh, truth as something that's relative. Your truth may be different from my truth. In other words, there's no such thing as ultimate truth, objective truth. They were, they were actually asserting that all truth is relative. Well, in other words, I've got some relatives that don't believe in truth. <laughs> How many of you have relatives that don't believe in truth? Don't raise your hand. All, but they were, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. They were asserting that all truth is relative. Now, to believe that all truth is relative is to believe that there's nothing sure, nothing sure. Two plus two may be four, but it may not be four. It's only four if you wish it to be four, if you believe it to be so. What is truth? And that's a question that Pilate, you remember, asked of Jesus, what (coughs) is truth? And men are asking today, what is truth? The great philosopher Nietzsche said he called Pilate's question the only saying in the New Testament that has any value. Hmm. Uh, Anatole of France, another uh, so-called philosopher, considered that question, what is truth to be the most profound question ever asked? And I think I might agree with him on that. There were the sophists. That was a group of, of uh, Greek philosophers that were always questioning and trying to acquire knowledge. They said that knowledge comes from the senses only. How many of you have five senses? What are they? Sight, smell, sound, taste. Oh, boy, that reminds me. How long is it going to be at dinner time? Taste. How many of you like to have a good Taste. Come on, raise your hands. How many of you like fried chicken, good food, chocolate milkshakes, icebox lemon pie, Lord? (laughs) What's the other one? I don't forget. Touch, that's right. Reach over and and touch your neighbor in the right place, of course. (laughs) The five senses. So uh, the sophist said uh, that's... Truth comes from the five senses. And so the test of truth, the answer to Pilate's question, what is truth, is sensation. Truth is what you can taste, touch, smell, hear, and see. What could be simpler than that? But Plato, the great Greek philosopher, was not satisfied with that. He said, if that's truth, there's no truth, for we all taste, smell, hear, touch, and see things differently. The baboon, then is the measure of truth," said Plato. "The baboon is as well as the sage, the wise man. So who shall decide between them? Plato was sure that reason is the test of truth. Reason. There was another one of those philosophers who concluded that nothing is certain. So when he died, his students, though they loved him, they didn't mourn him because they were not sure that he was dead. Nothing certain. (coughs) William James said the meaning of truth was simple enough to be stated in terms that even a businessman could understand. I have two sons that are businessmen. I hope they understand truth. He said truth is efficacy. That is the power to produce an effect. Oh, my goodness. There are no truths, said Will Durant. You remember Will Durant? <laughs> no truths, no absolutes, only relatives. and We all have to get along with our relatives. <laughs> but he was talking about relativity as uh, a dome of many-colored glass. And from every, each corner, wherever you are, you happen to see different combinations of colors. So truth is only the common denominator of all of our delusions, and certainty is an era in which all men agree, and we've got to just be content with that. So said Durant. Oh, my. So truth has been defined as only that which can be perceived by the senses. Nothing is true, nothing is real if you can't perceive it with the five senses. Our truth is reason, ideas, logical ideas. Nothing is true unless it's reasonable. Now, it would not be reasonable to assume that Jesus could raise a dead man. So, out then goes the story of Lazarus and the widow of Nain and all. Well, now, from that first definition of truth... Uh, has flowed such profound ideas and teachings as if it feels good, do it. And much of our society today is right there. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Life only goes around once, so grab all the gusto that you can get to endure. Joy and indulge the sensory pleasures, the pleasures of the five senses, becomes the creed by which many, many people live. And, of course, over the last 50, 75 years, we've seen the end results of that kind of philosophy. AIDS, drug addiction, senseless killing like we're seeing now. And then, of course, Plato's worship of reason, Strongly influenced ancient Greece and Rome. And then in the words of Will Durant, Out of the East, I'm reading what Durant actually wrote in his book. Out of the East, the forces of mysticism perpetually renewed in human hope, poured into Greece and overwhelmed the the frail and the feeble. Overwhelmed the life of reason that had flowered there. Divine inspiration and revelation came to comfort the oppressed. And when Greece was ruined and every Greek was poor, reason died and faith, which never dies, put an end to the classic world. You know what he was talking about? Winston Churchill. How many of you remember that name? Winston Churchill said, For a long while, the Western world wallowed in raw, uncivilized heathenism. Then slowly, <laughs> I love to listen to old, I've got some records where you can hear Churchill speaking. Then slowly, the redeeming fires of Christianity begin to brighten the darkened world of heathenism. Thank God. God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for the 12 apostles. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. Oh, brothers and sisters, thank God, thank God, thank God. Then came that period of time that we know as the Renaissance or the Enlightenment. Once again, reason was enthroned as the ultimate truth. And man began to bow at the altar of reason. I'm not too sure we've ever gotten beyond that yet. Even Will Durant recognized that reason replaced religion. Indeed, he said, reason became the object of worship. And in many of our universities and the places where our kids go to get their education, reason is put upon the throne as equal to or better than religion itself. The worship of reason became itself a religion and a faith. The enlightenment which was based upon reason in its noble belief in the indefinite perfectibility of mankind. Think of that. The indefinite perfectibility of mankind. Mankind has been on this earth, there's no telling how many thousands of years. And, Lord, help us, we are a long way from being perfected. You know anybody that's perfect? Now, I know a few that's almost perfect. You know, Brother Phil, his wife and kids and my wife. The rest of you I don't know about. (laughs) But perfectibility of humankind. If it was possible, if it were possible, What about the things that happened like that happened up in, where was that, that where the fellow ran through and just created all kinds of havoc and people killed? My, my, my. Perfectibility. Folks, let me tell you something. America today is in a condition I might call America a religious schizophrenic. This country. We're a religiously schizophrenic society. America is suffering a separation between the intellect, reason, and her emotions. Our society has a personality. I think it's worse than I've ever seen it in my 81 years. I have never seen America in the condition we're in today. We are spending ourselves into oblivion. There's no way that my great-great-grandchildren will ever be able to pay off these trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that we're spending now. And yet, let me give you a little hope. If you got your Bibles, sometime, you don't have to do it right now, write down this, turn to 2 Chronicles. Is it 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14? And here's what it says. It's if is verse first word. Everybody say if. if. If my people. Now that's not talking about the politicians and, and, and the intellectuals and, 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 and unbelievers. If my people. That's a Christian people. If my people. My people which are called by my name will do what? Will humble themselves. God help us we need to learn that we don't know everything. Our politicians in Washington sometimes act as if they know everything and then turn around and spend money like it was made out of dirt. If my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, hallelujah, and I will heal their land. How many of you know America needs God's healing touch? Oh, God help us. Somebody says, this debt can never be paid for. Oh, yes it can. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how. When America turns to God and repents and humbles herself before God and calls on God, God can turn up a whole, (laughs) what's the word I'm reaching for? A whole cache of gold in the mountains of the Great Smoky Mountains or the Great Rocky Mountains or in the, the wilderness of Alaska. There's gold hidden in this earth that can triple and many times pay off the debt we have. God knows where it is. And God can one day lead a godly leader who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ to bring that thing to pass and to heal our land. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And forgive me, I'm acting like a holy roller. I'm about to get happy. Oh, God help us. How many of you know we need the healing touch of God on our land? If my people, if my people. Oh my my, 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 my. Ah. Here we are, like I said, we're America's religiously schizophrenic, suffering a separation between the intellect, the reason and our emotions. Our society has this split personality. We're worshiping at the altars of two gods, the God of reason on the one hand and the God of the senses on the other hand. Eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. We've lost our way and we don't even know what truth is. As a result, we don't know how to behave. We don't know how to conduct our lives we don't know what to value. We don't know how to set our priorities. Have you ever read with, well, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. Look at this. Romans, chapter 1. If you can put it on the screen, put it on the screen. Romans, chapter 1, verses, let's start at verse 21. This is talking about that Roman society. Do you realize at one time the whole known world was ruled by Rome? Rome was a mighty and a powerful empire, as powerful as the United States of America, as rich. But Paul writes and talks that He's writing in the declining days of that empire. He says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Oh, is that where America is now? Is our foolish heart being darkened, professing themselves to be wise? What happened? They became fools. And they changed <coughs> they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. And because of this, wherefore? God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who are you talking about, Paul? Those who changed the truth of God into a lie. Those who worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. And that's where we are today. Listen, for this cause... God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Do you know what that means? And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving it in themselves, that the recompense of the error which was me. We have just declared that marriage between two men or marriage between two women is the equivalent of heterosexual marriage. We're on the way down, folks. We're on the way down. We're on a slippery slope. But if my people... That's not talking about the politicians and the philosophers. That's talking about genuine believers in Jesus Christ. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked eyes, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Oh, God, heal our land. Oh, God, heal our land. I I don't know if you feel like I feel, but I'm 81 years old. And I look back and the America that I was raised in as a little boy down in West Tennessee. That America is not here anymore. Oh, oh my, 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 my. <sighs> Let's go on and read just a little bit more here in Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know why people don't want to believe in God? Because we don't want to have anybody over us. We want to be independent. We don't want anybody to tell us your behavior is wrong. You're sinning when you do that. We don't want that. Our politicians don't want it. Our philosophers don't want it. And sad to say, many of the people sitting in our church pews don't want it even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despoutful, briotic, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What is truth? What is truth? To a world that in many, many ways is just as secular and just as unbelieving as that Roman world that Paul wrote to, to that kind of a world, Paul wrote this letter here in Timothy. What is truth? Pilate's question. What did Jesus say? Ah, say it with me. I am truth. Jesus said, I am truth. I am the way. I am the truth. Paul, the Apostle Paul, here in verse Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, listen to it. The church of the living God is the pillar and the ground Folks, we need to learn how to behave ourselves according to the teachings of the Word of God. Francis Schaeffer. Anybody been around long enough to remember the old philosopher Francis Schaeffer? I saw him. He came to Nashville oh 25 years ago. I guess he's dead now. So I assume. Anyway, he said he wrote and posed this question. How then shall we live? How then shall we live? Anybody remember that congressman from Massachusetts by the name of Barney Franks? God help us. He hired male prostitutes, brought them into his home, and from there ran a call service. Homosexual calls. There was a congressman, I won't even call his name, you wouldn't know it anyway, probably, but he bragged about his sexual behavior in the balcony of the House of the Representatives the United States Congress. Where are we? Where are we? The church is the only hope for this nation. My brother-in-law was a congressman for many years, Bob Clement. Anybody remember the name Bob Clement? His His father, Frank Clement, was the governor of the state here for, I think, four terms. Bob's a good man. I baptized Bob several years ago. I don't even remember now why I started to mention his name. But anyway, <laughs> dear Lord, you know I prob- the Lord probably took that out of my mind. <laughs> Bob's a character. I remember I went to baptize him, and of course we have a baptism there and the, a baptismal pool there in the church. And at that time it wasn't heated, <laughs> and I had prayed with Bob and prayed him. He led him in the sinner's prayer and brought him to the Lord. And that's the Sunday I was, we were going to baptize him. <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I had told him, now, Bob, the water is cold. And you better step down one step at a time and gradually get used to it. <laughs> and uh, he didn't pay a bit of attention to me. He was so excited. He was so thrilled that we getting baptized. <laughs> Finally, I had to baptize about five or six people before him. And finally, here he comes into the water. He just lumbered down into that water. He got down about two steps. He says, God dang it, that's cold. (laughs) I said, Bob, we're going to have to go back to the altar and repent, boy. (laughs) But come on in. (laughs) It is cold. (laughs) But so is the grave. Turn to the person next to you. Look at him. Say, did you know, ask them, come on, did you know that one day you're going to die and they're going to drop your body in a hole about five feet deep and you're going to be there till Jesus comes and it's going to be cold. My my, the only hope for our world. Seriously, and I've got to wrap this thing up. My first wife, Montel. When I would preach too long, Montel would say, <laughs> <laughs> "Carol hadn't got quite that used to me yet." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes she does this. <laughs> but we gotta, we gotta wrap this thing up here. <clears throat> We are to be truth-seekers. Come ye out from among them. Be ye separate. I think that's more important today than I've ever seen it in my life. I don't mean to just be dampening your spirits, but I'm telling you, folks, we are a separate people. This world is on its way down to the pits of hell, and it's going fast. I don't think it's going to be too long until we're going to hear the trumpet sound and the clouds roll back and our Lord come back to this earth. Between now and then, if it's 10 years or a 1,000 years, whenever it is, between now and then, we've got to remember this. The church is the hope of the world, the pillar and the ground of truth, the pillar of truth and the ground of truth. Jesus is the one who said, I am truth. He also said, I am the light of the world. John 3.16 introduces us to the God who loved us, and he did not come to condemn us, but he came to show us truth and to show us the light. John 3.16, you can quote it, can't you? John 3:16. Let me read you about four verses there. John 3:16. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. Say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that the world through him might be saved. Now the next verse is he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light, this is the condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Why? Because their deeds are evil, but everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be removed. So God sent his only begotten son to bring light, but men snuffed out that light, or at least they thought they did. But Jesus had already charged his disciples, you now are the light. Of the Folks, that's why we're here. That's why we have a church. That's why we meet at the different times during the week. We are the light. I believe more than I've ever believed in my life that the godly people in this world is the only hope of this world. The church is to lift up the light so the world can see and find its way. And the church, the church, the church. Of the God. Let me mention one thing to you, and I'm going to close. In the 19th century, the largest concrete structure in the United States, anybody know what it was? In the 19th century, the largest concrete structure in the United States was the Statue of Liberty. That statue, it took 27,000 tons of concrete for that statue. Below grade, it's 53 feet deep. At the bottom of that 53 feet, it's 91 feet square at the bottom. Its foundation is 65 feet high. above the pedestal above grade the concrete walls are from 8 to 19 feet thick and from that foundation of that great great beacon of light that torch that stands up there from the torch to the bottom is 306 feet and 8 inches the weight of that statue is 450,000 pounds or 225 tons. That statue beckons people from all over the world to the place of light. But what a foundation. A foundation. The church is the foundation of this nation. The pillar Telling you more than I've ever believed in my 81 years, the hope of this nation rests with people like you and I who are genuine believers. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters are you a Christian? Are you committed to Jesus Christ? Are you on your knees praying for this country? and praying for the church of the living God. That's our hope. God bless you. Thank you for listening to an old man preach his heart out today.